Deep in the heart of Appalachia, guys set on a quest to create the greatest podcast. Uh, sorry, dude. I thought we agreed on the correct pronunciation of Appalachia. No, dude. We, we've talked about this. We've talked about this over and over and over. It's, it's pronounced Appalachia. Listen, freaking angels and the women got together. That's how we got Bigfoot. That's how we got vampires. That's why we got all of this stuff. These ancient Appalachian mountains that are literally older than bones. There's old entities here. You start finding out more about them, they start finding out more about you. Good Lord, sir. (laughs) This goose has gone rabbit. You think you're just going to run up with your little sword on the king of the goose squad? Listen, the old entities of Middle Appalachia are unexplainable. Mm. They are eerie. Breach. And they are one of these things that will keep us, the hill folks, and the people who live in the area constantly searching for answers. Mm that they probably will never, ever find. And this is why we love Appalachian Intelligence. Hey there, Hill Folk, and welcome back to Appalachian Intelligence. We're so thankful that you guys can join us again for another week. Uh, We're right in the middle of spooky season here, and due to a listener recommendation, I say it, We've got a name for it. And yes, Lance, you can say it. Welcome to Appalachian Intelligence's Halloween. Halloween, baby. Halloween. This is the Halloween season. So, uh, listener, Austin Altman, thank you for that recommendation. Me and the guys love it. Hopefully, the rest of the Hill folk love it because uh, Halloween's what it's all about. It's what this month is all about. So we really, really, really loved and enjoyed our episode and our time spent recording with Bean last week. The dude had just had some <sighs> not so weird stories that were super creepy. And I mean, they were all over the place. Cryptids, shadow people, UFOs, little goblins, a bunch of stuff. Um but we really had a great time with Bean. So, again, just throwing it out there, Bean, we appreciate you coming on. Um, he was actually texting me today talking about some stuff. And that's, you know, we talk about it all the time. But when we have guests on this show, you know, it's almost like we, we keep a constant relationship with these people. You know, you're, you're keeping, you're constantly bouncing stuff off of each other. And, you know, just like Austin recommending, we call this Halloween, we're, we're we talk about building the tribe all the time, and that's that's literally what we're doing. We're building a tribe. We're building a huge, weird hill folk tribe, and I love it, dude. I love it. So, uh, you guys, I mean, you keep spreading the word. You keep we keep growing. Again, why anybody wants to listen to us, I have no idea. But Shit stinks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, I was telling these boys. Actually, I don't even know if I told Lance. Uh, we're, we're on iTunes charts, um, in the top 200 in eight different countries right now. That's, that's crazy in our category that is, but that's, that's crazy. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. And we can't do that 
on our own by ourselves. It, it takes you heel folk out there sharing the show to do that, to make this possible. So for that, we thank you a whole lot. Um, with you as always, your get or your host, your guests. I guess we're we're guests every week. Your hosts, Justin, Ryan, and Lance. And uh, you know, these five star reviews, we love to share them when we get them. So we're gonna share a couple of these five star reviews with you guys today. Uh, the first one comes from T Lifer. It says, Awesome show. Heard about y'all on the hollow sky, and now I'm hooked. I love y'all show. So T Lifer, thank you very much for that five-star review. We appreciate that. The next one comes from KW Bailey 81. Tangy like Dukes. <laughs> Sorry, that got it gets me tickled. <clears throat> Tangy like Dukes. Traveled to Appalachia by way of Hollow Sky. Loving every episode. So KW Bailey 81, we appreciate you too. And uh as you guys have heard in the last three reviews I've shared on here, they've come our way by way of our boy Stephen Kyle at the Hollow Sky Podcast. So, again, thank you, boys. We love you. Thanks for pushing us, even when we're not pushing ourselves. We appreciate you guys a lot. We just we appreciate everybody, everybody that's out there, everybody that has ears to listen. We appreciate you, and we, we love you, everybody. We love everybody. Everybody's in on this slobber fest. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. So we don't have a guest for you guys today, and that's intentional. We, uh, you know, growing up, well, it's even still, I don't know about you boys, but one of my favorite things to do this time of year, you know, we're, we're in the middle of October. It's spooky season. It's scary season. It's Halloween season. One thing that I love to do is just sit around with, you know, family or, or friends, a bunch of buddies, especially around a campfire, and just tell spooky stories, tell old family ghost stories, tell some of the, the scariest stories that I've come across or some of the most unique, weird stories that I've come across. So today, Hill Folk, that's what y'all are going to get. We're each going to share a story or two. To, uh, to hopefully try to creep you guys out. So, I think, what have I missed anything here, guys? Missed anything in the business? I know that last week I said I would be modeling our first iteration of the Appalachian Intelligence t-shirt. You lied. Supply chain, guys, boys. Supply chain. And AKA, the person making the shirts that I work with didn't get them done. <laughs> well, that's still technically a supply chain. Yeah, one of them finished, doesn't have the other ones finished up. Hopefully, getting those done this week. They had to order the tea. I don't know. I don't know how all that stuff works, but they ran out of the stuff that was needed in the process of making the shirt. So, got that stuff ordered, uh, and we'll be making them this week into the weekend. So, hopefully, by next time we record, not only will I be supporting and rocking the new Appalachian Intelligence Chill Folk t shirt, but these boys will as well. Yeah. All right. We'll make a special trip to Hay City, Virginia, if I have them, just to deliver. Matter of fact, I'm going to deliver them to your house. Each and each of you. I'm bringing them to the house. Yes. I'll take the shirt off of my back and give it to you. So not only will you get any shirt, you'll get me standing shirtless in front of you on the front porch for all the world to see. I'm just here to give the people what they want. 
and all that Compton musk wafting through the front door after that drive over here. And he's just, he's, he's sweating. He's jamming out. He's jamming out on the car ride over. He's so excited. That musk is just going to waft through the front door as soon as it's open. And there's going to be Lance's hairy torso just <laughs> glaring at you. <laughs> Give the people what they want. That's what I'm here for. I don't, I don't like to do it, but it's, it's a burden I must bear. Well, yeah, we all have our roles here. And unfortunately for everyone involved, that's yours. And it's true. I mean, I said fortunately, right? Fortunately. Yes, I know what you meant. I thought that's what I said. I'm pretty sure. All right. So, no T-shirts today. They will be getting here. Stickers, Ryan sent out. I'm pretty sure. Is that correct, Ryan? That is correct, sir. So, if you haven't received your stickers yet, for those that left a review and requested stickers, uh, they should be on their way. Ryan did send those out. So hopefully that's all taken care of. Um, I think that's it, guys. I think that's all the the tidbits we need to it talk about business-wise. My business. Killing is my business, ladies. And business is good. <laughs> Little major pain reference for you guys out there. So one of my favorites. Absolutely. Hey, true story. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I, I know we're we're going off the rails right off the bat. I told you we were going to share scary stories, but first off, I got to, I just got to share this. So, as you all know, me and Lance grew up together. We played high school baseball together. Uh, before every game, we would meet at our buddy Ryan Jones's house. And we would just chill out before the game. You know, we would sit around, watch movies. Well, we uh, we watched Major Pain. Thousand we, times. Well, we watched Major Pain one day and ate, uh, I can't even remember what, it was some kind of weird hot dogs. It was, I don't even remember exactly what it was. It was something, I don't know what Ryan's doing. But anyway, we went out that day. We won big. So, you know, look, anybody that knows, you know, like true baseball players, especially we're, or I say we're, I what we were extremely superstitious. Like if something worked, you stuck with it until it didn't work anymore. So for the rest of our careers, our high school careers, we watched major pain like two or three times a week throughout baseball season. We can pretty much quote the movie. All right. Oh my gosh. Sorry, I just want to share that with you guys. Get a little little background of our love for major pain. And just have kind of lighten the mood a little bit, but to freak you out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if mine'll freak you out that bad. Mine won't. I it won't, but <laughs> <laughs> sounds just, good. Yeah. Guys, this is supposed to be super creepy, scary story time. I think that's why I'm going to name this episode Super Creepy Scary Story Time. Oh, I was going to call it Halloween Begins. <laughs> I like that too. Yeah, I like that. I like that better, actually. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Suck it, J- JK. Red How many eyes, red eyes, full hearts can't lose? <laughs> that's right. 
All right, since Lane spilled the beans, I'm sure everybody can already tell. I feel like a damn wagon. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I took two to take the edge off. <laughs> and they mm. did their job. They did their job. <laughs> so, so all you heel folk that was out there rooting for Ryan's Sober October, it lasted 10 days. You 10 mean, days. You mean betting? <laughs> yeah. Rooting. So the over under was 10. <laughs> Definitely took the under. <laughs> oh, Lance, 50 bucks. <laughs> All right. We'll quit. Uh, we'll quit sidebar in here. We'll jump on in for the new, uh, for you loyal heel folk out there. We'll jump into super creepy, scary story time. I think I should have like a, like an echo behind me when I say that. Super creepy, scary story. Ta, 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 ta. You understand? So, it would just sound like you. It wouldn't sound like that. Oh, yeah. That's true. Okay. Sorry. All right. We'll dive into it. I think Ryan's going to kick us off and get us started. Ryan, what story did you come across, brother? Okay. So, on the paranormal subreddit, come across uh, what was labeled as a visitation dream. Ooh. And it's titled, A Friend Told Me in a Dream That He Was Murdered Before I Even Knew About His Passing. What? What? Yeah. And this is as of recently. So this one is insane, and I'm still wrapping my head around it. It's been a long process of uncovering. I had a dream in April of 2021. It was nighttime, and a friend of mine was hovering in the sky above me. He was invisible, but I could sense that it was him. He was urgently asking me for help. He said, I was murdered. I have been trying to contact someone, but no one can hear me. You're the only one spiritual enough for me to get through. I didn't understand how I could help him. I was at a loss of direction. The confusion caused me to wake up. It was an extremely odd dream that I've never experienced before. It definitely perplexed me, but I wrote it off as a really weird dream and ignored it. But then about three to seven days later, I got the news that he had passed away. Literally, no one would tell me how he passed. I didn't want to be insensitive, so I didn't pry. I just patiently waited until maybe I would find out. But fast forward to yesterday, October 10th, 2022, I finally decided to be more intrusive, respectfully, and message a friend on his Facebook that posted on his page that I didn't know personally. And I messaged a girlfriend of one of his good friends as well. I asked them if they happened to know how he passed. I'll copy and paste what the guy friend told me. So this was the dude she had messaged. This was his message. Good morning. He went to a desert party and overdosed on bad drugs. They believe foul play was suspected. There was, is an investigation to figure out what really happened. I tried to find out more, but I had no luck. I moved across country a few years back. Therefore, it was difficult to talk to the people to face to face. So now she's going to paste what the girlfriend of 
that guy's good friend had said to her. She said, it's really intense. He was on psychedelics and slit his throat with a bottle. It was at a party in the mountains and everyone was fucked up. So by the time he got to the hospital, it was too late. Apparently it was a shady crowd, but I'm not sure who. Demonic shit for sure. So it turned out that it was fake ketamine. Honestly, I sensed the people he was around were dark. Whoa. So she goes on to say, this feedback from them makes me believe that he truly did visit me and that it wasn't just an odd dream. Makes me believe he probably was murdered because he specifically told me so. I'm getting the vibe everyone was on bad drugs and foul play happened. And I'm also getting the feeling maybe he was asking me for help because he just died. Maybe he was afraid and desperate to go back to his body. I don't know. But I'd like to think that it's just ha- or that he went into the light and is in a good place now. I don't know how the afterlife works, but this is really selling me on an afterlife for sure. What are your guys' thoughts? Anyone experienced something like this? Hmm. Whoa. That's a lot. Holy yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot jam-packed into all of that. Yeah, that's why I picked it. It's a good one, Ryan. Well done. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought um, it came in like six hours ago. I was like, mm, yes, touchdown. <laughs> it's just that's, that's one of those subreddits I keep to notify me, you know, when somebody posts because you never yeah. know it's the paranormal subreddits. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of paranormal um, topics, I guess, from out-of-body experience to uh, you could probably go a laundry list of things to begin to explain, not explain, begin to, I guess, categorize what was all in that. That was, that was a lot. That, that was wild. Yeah. yeah, it was wild. Well, I mean, like, you know, it's it, like at first it's just like, okay, well, you know, yeah, it's weird how all this happened. Um, but like when the details start coming out, like the more specific on, things got, the more you're like, holy. Yeah, like he's on psychedelics and he slid his own throat with a bottle. With a broken bottle. I mean, that doesn't sound like. Which you said that there was like some kind of like some form of ketamine, right? Yeah. So it turned out to be fake ketamine. I didn't know there was such thing as fake ketamine. I didn't either. Something new today. Dude, that is just. (laughs) I don't know. I don't even know what to like. Yeah, I was trying to like compartmentalize different portions of that to talk about it. But like it's I can't not not just on one hearing of it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what to say about that one. Like, that's so this person saw their friend in a 
dream, vision, something, whatever, saying, help me, help me. You know, I've been murdered. You're the only person I can come to. Then come to find out, you know, a few days later, well, they did die. And then you learn all the, and then you have people saying that there was drugs involved and he was surrounded by dark forces and somebody actually calling it demonic. Which, I mean, I'm sure if you watch somebody slit their own throat with a broken bottle, that, that seems. I wonder if it was a broken bottle of Bud Light. What? <laughs> Stone Cold uh, reference for you. Sorry. It was, it was okay. It was good. You did good. I don't know. That was nuts. That yeah, one was crazy. Good one, Ryan. Well done. Way to get Halloween season started. I knew I picked right. Yeah, Ryan. Way to get Halloween going, baby. Way to get it going. All right. Look, this glare is going to kill you guys. I'm sorry, but. To be able to read, Peppa got put his glasses on. Pappy's got to put his old his bifocals on. I here. don't want to be a bother. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess it's my turn to uh, share spooky, scary story time around the proverbial campfire that we don't really have. I should have got one of those campfire backgrounds for my for my Zoom background here. That'd have been awesome. Okay, so I picked this one because I think it's pretty unique. You know, you hear about hauntings, you hear about, you know, demonic possessions and UFOs and cryptids and all of these different things. And I'll give it to Ryan. That one, his, his was pretty unique as well. You don't hear a whole lot of, of stories like that one. So I'll, I'll give him that. But. Even when you hear ghost stories, there's not a whole lot of stories out there about people who had murdered in life, but also continued or supposedly continued to murder after death. So we're going to jump into that one. All right. There are some people who hear of a cursed location or item, and instead of leaving it alone, they search out the spirits or entities that supposedly inhabit the item, and when they do, they often pay the ultimate price. Today, we're looking at the cursed gravestone of Carl Pruitt that contained the same anger and vengeance that killed his wife. And just so everybody knows, uh, I've pulled this story from Faxcology.com. Got to be true. It's it's called Faxcology. I mean, it has to be true. They're in the name. Yeah. In June 1938, in Pulaski County, Kentucky, which is also why I picked this one, because it's uh, it's, it's right at the foothills of of the old Appalachian Mountains. And Pulaski County, for anybody that's wondering, Somerset, Kentucky, is right in the middle of of Pulaski County, or Pulaski, however you want to pronounce that. Pulaski. Yeah, I say Pulaski. In June 1938, in Pulaski County, Kentucky, Carl Pruitt, a man known by many to have a vicious temper, arrived home to find his wife in bed with another man, the ultimate. As his wife attempted to explain her actions to the ravenous Carl, the other man escaped through the window. Unknowingly, this move saved his life. Carl Pruitt, in all of his anger, grabbed a chain wrapped it around his wife's neck, and strangled her to death. 
moments after realizing what he had done in his guilt and his sorrow and his misery, he placed a gun to his temple and pulled the trigger. After the murder-suicide, his wife's parents refused to have him put to rest next to his wife, and rightfully so, so I do believe, and had him buried far away in a completely different cemetery. But if you believe the stories, Carl Pruitt's temper wasn't laid to rest that day, and he continued to kill from beyond the grave. The story of the murder-suicide shocked the small community in Pulaski County, and soon those who passed by the gravestone of Carl Pruitt began noticing a discoloration in the grass surrounding it. The patches of browning grass resembled a chain, similar to the chain that he had used to kill his wife. Of course, the strange occurrence attracted more to visit his grave, even just for proof, but for some, it became a dare. A group of children led by one James Collin accused each other of being, being scared of the gravestone. James denied his fear and even started to throw rocks at the grave to prove his bravery. One stone tossed with such force it chipped off a piece of the gravestone. When nothing happened, the boys jumped on their bikes and rode off. Moments later, in what would be described as a freak accident, the chain on James's bike snapped, flipping his bicycle with James on it. His friends ran for help, but by the time others had arrived, James was dead. The bike chain that snapped had wrapped around his neck, strangling him to death. The boys told others it was Carl Pruitt's doing, and when they took them to his gravestone, they saw the chip James had caused was no longer there. James's mother believed the boys and sought revenge against the spirit of Carl Pruitt. She took an axe herself and smashed the gravestone to pieces. Satisfied with her efforts, she left the cemetery, and that was the last time anyone saw her alive. The next day... She was found dead, strangled to death from the clothesline where she accidentally tripped and entangled herself in it. Meanwhile, others believe it was the doing of Carl Pruitt, and when they went to his gravestone, they found it fully intact as if it had never been struck with an axe. Many now fear the ghost of Carl Pruitt. Y'all are going to figure out pretty quickly. This is a, this is a running theme here. No, people just won't leave this poor gravestone alone. Many now feared the ghost of Carl Pruitt, but one man did. A local farmer farmer riding with his family in a horse-drawn carriage claimed he feared no ghost, and as they passed the cemetery, he aimed to prove his courage. While still sitting in the carriage with his family, he drew his pistol and shot at the grave. The bullet chipped off a piece of stone, but the sound of the gun caused the horses to panic and wildly take off. With the carriage reaching dangerous speeds, his family jumped off while the farmer attempted to, attempted to calm the horses, but he was too late. The carriage crashed, and he flipped over, entangling himself in the reins, which choked him to death. When the family looked over to the grave, they found it once again fully intact. <clears throat> the new death caused an uproar. People now believe the curse to be real, so they requested an investigation. Eventually, the local police department relented and sent two cops to investigate the gravestone. Unfortunately, the cops did not take the, cur the curse seriously and joked about the supposed curse while at the cemetery. While they drove away from it, the cop who had made the jokes noticed a ball of light in the rearview mirror. When it kept getting closer, fear seeped into him and he started speeding to get away from it. 
Despite his partner yelling to slow down, he continued to speed down the street and lost control of the car. The car crashed into a pole, throwing the partner out of the car, injured but alive. The driving officer wasn't so lucky. The crash had decapitated him. The final death came several months later. Many residents were now wary of even passing by the cemetery and even had their relatives move to different cemeteries out of fear. But there's always at least one person who doesn't heed the warnings and dares to attempt fate. <clears throat> this man was Arthur Lewis. He grabbed a hammer and a chisel and set out at night to destroy the gravestone once and for all. Witnesses could hear the metallic sounds of the hammer slamming down on the chisel as it broke through the pieces of the stone. And then the sounds stopped and were replaced with terrified screams coming from Arthur. Several men grabbed lanterns and ran to the cemetery to investigate. All they found was the dead body of Arthur Lewis, strangled by the chain that was used to lock the cemetery. Next to him was the completely undamaged gravestone of Carl Pruitt. With this, no one was ever buried in the cemetery, and the last of the bodies that were left were also moved to other cemeteries. The land was forgotten along with Carl Pruitt, in 1958, the land was strip mined and the grave of Carl Pruitt was destroyed for good. So, there you go. Holy crap. <clears throat> My first question that I have What kind of freak was Carl Lewis's Pruitt's wife? That there was a chain in the bedroom that he could grab and strangle her after he found out she was cheating on him. That's kind of what I was thinking. The first time that I heard this story, I was thinking, uh, this sounds like a little more than just a quick like run a in before CP gets home. Sounds like a ludicrous song. This is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like a. Uh, sounds like CP's wife was a freak. Hey, we don't keep shame. That's cool. Whatever. Wow. I was just, you know. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent point, Lance. <laughs> she might have had the chain wrapped around her in the moment that Carl come. I mean, that, that, that you know, he just might have, out of a crime of passion, he may so, just used what was available. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he unwrapped the chain from her ahead of mine. Um, so this Carl Pruitt in Pulaski County, Kentucky. Do we, do they know, like, obviously it was strip mine, we get that, but do they know, like, a general location of where this grave used to be? I'm not sure. I didn't look that far into it. That's the end. This is a super interesting story. I read the story uh, and said, you know what? This is really, really creepy. Sounds like a running theme for quite a few different, if, if it's true. Yeah, that's sure. just That's, that's just saying, if this is true, you know, we all, we all have our uh, passed down myths and, and legends and stories, and oh, and sometimes they grow over time. But again, like we say on here all the time, where there's smoke, there's fire. So even if there's just a little bit of truth in it, it's still a crazy story. It's still uh, yeah, that's a that was awesome. I mean, and that's something that you don't hear very often. I mean, you hear you know hauntings and and. You know, like I said before, you hear about all this weird stuff. It's not very often you hear about 
people dying in a way related to this tombstone or this gravestone of a person that they're intentionally, you know, just trying to like, I, I don't know. Like you don't hear it very often. Like no matter how many times the gravestone was damaged, it was always came back fully intact. These people kept dying in fashion similar to how Carl killed his wife. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's crazy. And I would even go on to say that, again, there's forces out there that know a lot of things. And uh, if they know this story and know the, the power and at behind or behind belief, you know, maybe there was some darker forces. Maybe it wasn't old Carl. Maybe it was uh, something a little more nefarious, possibly demonic, that decided, I'm going to use this. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Either way, it creeped me out when I heard it. It was a creepy ass story. Uh, yeah. I would uh I wouldn't be going around that grave. But y'all know, like, you know, we can all, I think it just as dudes, we can relate to the uh the first story, like with the kids going and throwing rocks I mean, at the grave. Would you be here? No balls, no balls. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. He said, I ain't afraid. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Start chucking rocks this thing. Come on, Carl. You big stupid. Come get me. Well, oh, Carl got him. Bless his heart. Bless that baby's heart. He just trying to throw some rocks all around over there and up, up at old cemetery and then rides by chickle back home, change that, wrap around the neck, and there he goes. Done. <laughs> All right, Lance, it is your super scary, creepy, super, how, how do I say it? Super creepy, scary story time. time super califragilistic something. Yeah, story time. Story Red story eyes, time. full hearts, can't lose. Um, exactly. Yeah. I've got two. Um, I'll hold cool. on. The second one is the actual personal story that I lived and happened Ooh. to me. So I'll hang on to that one. If this other story that I have, which is also fantastic. Well, I don't know if the second one is really a, how, how good of a story that is. I'll tell you it had a pretty major impact on me. Um, but I'll let you decide what, how good of a story that second one is. This first one, though, is, I think, a pretty good story that I found as well. Uh, and it was, um, well, I'll just read and let you kind of decide for yourself uh, what you think about it. <clears throat> I grew up in Southern Appalachia, in Western North Carolina, 30 minutes outside the town of Asheville. The hills and hollers of the Appalachian Mountains are some of the oldest mountains in the world, with some of the rock formations dating back billions of years. That quite literally means they were here before there were terrestrial animals. As with most things that have been on the earth a long time, there are inexplicable anomalies, both benevolent and malevolent. For example, Brown Mountain Lights. Never in my life have I felt threatened or uneasy when witnessing them from wise man's view. They're neither good nor evil. They just are. On the benevolent side, sometimes when you walk through an abandoned old church up near mom and dad's property line, you can feel good, warm, and happy energy. It's like the first warm day of summer when the sunshine's not too hot, but not too cold. Well, this is a story not about one such anomaly. 
It's about something that was definitely malevolent. About a decade ago, I was in night school, technical school, uh, going to school for automotive mechanics. I would go into class at about 2 p.m. After I got off my part-time job, I would end up getting home at about 10.30, depending on the traffic. Every night, I drove the same road in my old 1973 W200 Dodge pickup. Some nights, um, it would get rather boring, and I would take a different route, uh, jumping off of I-40 and drive the back roads. So on this particular evening, I had decided just to stay on I-40 because I just wanted to go home and go to bed. It was a Thursday. means no class on Friday. And I wanted to get into bed early so I could go out in the morning into the woods and go hiking early and watch the sun come up. So I jumped off I-40 onto the exit where my parents lived. The night seemed to get darker, and none of the animals that I could usually hear through my rolled-down window were making any noise. The cab of my truck became smaller and smaller, and my breathing quickened. I have never faced any kind of anxiety in my life. At that moment, something felt off. And I just couldn't put my finger on what it was. I came to a stop on the exit ramp, turned to go down the road, and happened to notice that the gas station off the exit where mom and dad had lived didn't have any lights on. It was a 24-hour truck stop, and it always had lights on. But I didn't think about it again after noticing. I just chalked it up to the power being out. I couldn't shake the feeling that something was definitely askew. I slowly uh, shifted through all my old truck's gears not one to make any more noise than the, old, than the old pickup already did. I leaned over my steering wheel to look up at the moon through the windshield. There was barely any stars visible, which is way out of the ordinary. If you've ever been to Appalachia, primarily the sparsely populated areas where I'm from, you can really see the Milky Way on clear nights. An absence of stars back home is only usually due to cloud cover or whatever in the hell went on this particular night. As I rounded a particularly sharp left-hand curve and chugged through a straight stretch before the next right-hander, I looked at the ancient decaying barn that I always gazed at when riding that stretch of road and thought about how long that thing had been there and how many advancements and civilizations it had seen. For the split second that my gaze wandered, a very large, sickly-looking dog ran out in front of my truck, no more than 10 feet in front of me. Now, old Betsy was a good truck. But she didn't stop so well. Thump, thump. I heard the fence posts that I had left in my truck bounce up and down on the bed, then back into it as I slid to a stop. My first thought was, oh no. Now I've got to go tell the neighbors that I ran over their dog. That kind of stuff doesn't go real far with people around here. It really can set them off, especially depending on the dog and the person. So as I sat there breathing and the smell of burning rubber, some other smell found its way into my nose. The stench of rotting flesh. Now, that's a smell you ever you don't ever forget once you smell it one time. I didn't pay much attention to it at the time and just chalked it up to some rotting roadkill nearby. And finally, I thought to myself, let me go check and see who dog this belongs to. So I pushed my clutch in, shifted into reverse. And as I looked in my rearview mirror, illuminated by the haunting glow of my reverse lamps, was the same dog. Only it wasn't on four legs anymore. Stood up like a man, well over 10 feet tall. 
Only then did it dawn on me that the front of my truck was every bit of five feet tall, and this dog was every bit of five feet tall at the shoulders on all fours. As it turned its head to look in the direction of my truck, I caught only a glimpse of this creature. It was not a dog. It was not a man. It was somewhere in between, and at the same time, entirely separate altogether. Its skin hung loose off its emaciated and thin frame, like a raccoon. Bits of matted fur and dirt and mud clung to its legs like a disease. The right arm seemed a little longer than the left, and they both hung abnormally low in relation to either animal this creature seemed to be. As it regained its senses, it turned and looked into the mirror like it knew exactly where I was sitting. The face was that of a man, but the very edges of its face seemed to be not totally defined. They seemed to move and change, like something you would see at a cellular level in a scientific documentary. There were no eyes, only sockets where eyes should be. No hair, and the skin that was dripping off its face was a cold, lifeless gray. The nose was short and shoved it into its face like a bulldog. But the teeth, the teeth still haunt me. It was definitely carnivorous. And true to form, the rest of its unnatural look, many of the teeth didn't seem to be arranged in any natural way in its mouth. They seemed to feel and spill forth from an indefi indefinable face, almost like they knew the horror that they occupied and they were searching for a way out. It stared through my life, into my eyes, and past my soul. And it seemed like an eternity, but it couldn't have been more than five seconds that I sat there totally paralyzed. A light came on at the house next to the road, causing the creature to snap its gaze in that direction and tear off into the woods on its two back legs like a man. I jammed the old truck in first gear, rose through the tires all the way through first, snatched second gear, and drove as fast as I could home. When I got to the house, both my parents were asleep, so I went downstairs into my bedroom and loaded every firearm I possessed and locked all the doors. I couldn't wake them up. Who in the world would believe this story in at 10.30 on a Thursday night? The basement was eerily quiet that night. Even their dogs that got up to raise hell at outside animals at all hours of the night were dead silent. The old post and beam house didn't even creak or pop that night, as was usual. So at about 3 a.m., I started to finally get drowsy <clears throat> as I went to lay my head down to get some sleep so I could still attempt to go hiking the next morning. I smelled that stench of death again. It was faint at first, but it was definitely there. And I thought to myself, you're just going crazy. None of that was real. But as I dwelt on it, it became more and more noticeable until it filled my entire basement. My dad has a home office in his basement with two large glass doors that face the Pigson National Forest, an impenetrable 500,000-acre woods. I finally worked up the courage to walk out of my bedroom into the basement living room with my little tactical 12-gauge loaded, pack light on. I covered the flashlight with my hand so as not to make my presence known until need be. As I turned right out of the living room into my father's office, I shined the light through the glass door to the edge of the woods, and there stood the creature. It was motionless. It stared right into the light, totally unafraid, with those soulless sockets devoid of eyes. 
I quickly covered my tactical light, ran into the living room, flipped on the outdoor floodlights. And to my surprise, it was no longer standing at the edge of the woods, but between the house and the edge of the woods. Still motionless, so I swung the door open and fired every freaking round I had in its direction. I must have scored a couple of hits because it screeched an unearthly scream like that of a woman being slaughtered as it took off into the woods. Now, my dogs went crazy. Mom and Dad woke up asking me what in the world I was doing, and I told them that a bear had gotten into the trash and I was trying to scare it away. They didn't believe me, but I knew they wouldn't believe the truth either. I didn't sleep that night or any time until the following Sunday. Everything seemed to return to normal, and I didn't think about the creature again until I met my wife about six years later. Her mother's house sits at the mouth of the holler, no more than four or five miles up the road from my mother and father's. Up on the side of the holler, there are kennels for her brother's hunting dogs, no longer in use and haven't been in use for years. But the fence is still there, and the concrete pad is still there, too. It's a thing of great use when you need to quarantine an animal. Her great Pyrenees had gotten into a tussle with a raccoon, which of course he destroyed, but his rabies vaccination had lapsed, so he had to keep him quarantined for a time. Now, it didn't bother him. He's a bit of a solitude per, a sol, bit of a solitude dog anyways. And this particular night, they were coming home from a movie date in a neighboring town. Um, was the last night of quarantine for the dog. So he walked up to the trail using our phone flashlights to get to the kennel. And there he sat, patiently waiting tail wagging, happy to see us. We put him on a leash, walked him back down to the house. And as we were walking back through the darkness, I felt that same feeling feeling again that I had in that night. I hit the creature in my truck. Now, I didn't say anything to alarm my wife, but then the smell came wafting into the breeze. And she jokingly asked, my gracious, what did you eat? You stink. I half laughed, not being able to fully appreciate the joke for the horrors that were raging in my mind. She immediately caught on and asked me what was wrong, to which I can only reply, I'll tell you later. Now, she grew up in the woods and around hunting and things of that nature her whole life, though she knew what I meant, and she knew we were being watched by something. When we could see the lights of the house from the trail to the kennel, we heard it. There came barking from the kennel that sounded just like the Great Pyrenees we had on a leash next to us. It was a perfect imitation. The Pyrenees, being a guardian dog, immediately sensed that something was wrong, so he turned to face the danger, belting out deep barks and growls in that direction. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to drag a 150-pound dog, but it sucks. It's not an easy task. I'm six foot tall, weigh 240 pounds, and it was all I could do to get me back to the house. The barking never ceased the entire time we were running towards the house. In fact, it grew closer and closer until it seemed as if it was coming from inside my own head. Her mother heard the commotion, flipped the floodlights on, and was uh, made it into the fence of the yard, and I caught a glimpse of something coming to a dead stop at the end where the light reached. Wheeling around and tearing off back into the darkness, my wife looked at me and goes, you want to tell me what the F that was? To which I replied, yes, let's go inside. I told her the story. She listened intently, hanging on every word. Her family came from a long, long line of granny witches and other supernatural healers of the Appalachians. So her older sisters came over the next morning with some herbs and chants to bless the property and to ward off evil. I suggested we go up to the dog kennels and do the same to them as well. When we got to the kennels, they were completely destroyed. The very concrete foundation was cracked, 
and the chain-link fence was torn from its posts. The dog houses were destroyed, and the place reeked of the stench that followed that creature. My wife's older sister just went about her business like normal. Blessed the place, burnt some herbs, and let us back into the property. When we got into the house, she wheeled about on us suddenly and instructed us very firmly to never go into the woods after dark. Not until this thing left me alone. So, to make a long story short, my wife joined the military and ended up getting stationed in Delaware. Well, as someone who's lived around fairly large mountains and endless wilderness their entire life, Delaware is pretty terrible. At least that was my thought when we first moved in the middle of a 50,000-plus population city. Fortunately, though, it didn't take us long to find a house in a sleepy little community further south. We purchased the house and moved in with haste. We were both very grateful and glad to be out of the city and back into a rural setting again. The land in Delaware seems lifeless in comparison to the Appalachians. Sparsely populated woods don't possess any energy that goes one way or the other. The ground doesn't seem to be alive like it is in Appalachia. And having no thought about the creature in a long time, I resumed my staying outside after dark and playing with our dogs in a rather large yard that borders a small patch of woods. Well, last night, I went outside to play with the dogs, and as dark set in, I built a decent-sized fire in my fire pit and consumed some good old-fashioned Appalachian Mountain cough syrup from a mason jar. And just as the fire was dying down, my American bulldog tore off towards the woods. Now, he has a habit of running off to go on an adventure, so my immediate instinct was to chase him down in the yard and tackle him so he couldn't get away. So as I tackled his 110-pound hind end to the ground and threw him into a fireman's carry over my shoulder, I heard him begin to bark. Only the bark was not coming from him. The only sound coming from him was a deep, rumbling growl, a noise I've never heard him make. It was a threatening noise. Something was definitely wrong, and as I ran with him on my shoulders back to the house, that stench of death filled the air. The two other dogs must have caught wind of what was happening and met me at the back door, which I threw open, slammed shut, locked, and again loaded my firearms. How in the world did this thing have followed us 650 miles up here? So as I flipped on my floodlights at the backside of my house, several of the bushes and small trees at the forest edge were still shaking like something had just ran through them. My dogs went crazy all night, barking, howling, and attempting to get out the windows. I didn't sleep a bit, and I don't think I will for a while. I know for sure I will not be in the woods after dark ever again in my life. Not until this thing is gone. Holy crap. Lance wins. Yeah. That is nuts. Lance definitely wins the super creepy, scary story time. I was getting chills. Like, I've read that once before. Like, I got chills again as I was reading it. Gosh. Well, first off, whoever wrote this story is a great storyteller. Like, not saying that it it's that he's just telling a story. Not saying that it's not true or anything like that. But just the way that was laid out. He's a great storyteller. Yeah. That that was awesome. But 
okay, like when you get into this this dog man kind of stuff, number one, the way this thing was described, it sounded more like it sounded more like what you would see or hear like in a Hollywood depiction of a werewolf. Yeah. More than like uh, your your typical description of a dog man encounter. You know what I mean? Because like most people that claim to to witness or see or have a, an encounter with a dog man, they describe something that looks very similar to a just a large, upright, bipedal dog or wolf. Yeah. But the way this dude is describing this thing, it has a human face, but just sockets where I should be like the edges of his face are blurred and like constantly moving, almost like a, a metamorphosis is happening, like a, like a transformation is coming about. I don't know, man. Like, and then, I mean, I could see like, you know, this thing being right around your home and, and keep coming in and out and checking up, <laughs> not checking up on you, but you know, <laughs> Checking in. Yeah, it's better not be outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then you move to Delaware and then you smell this thing again. So that that leads like that brings about the question in me, like because the entire time the story is being told, I'm thinking, okay, this sounds like something totally physical. Like even though it's weird. And it sounds like this, almost like a Hollywood adapt, like a, a version of a werewolf or, or whatever, more than your typical dog man. But like this thing, it, it almost feels like it's attached yeah. to him. You know, why, what, what point? It, okay, if this thing is like a flesh and blood, and again, this is just on the basis of, okay, this story is true. Because that's what we do here. We suspend disbelief and just take everything at face value and say, okay, we are believing this story to be true. So if this is true, and this is some form of predator that we just, we don't know anything about. Why travel or, or why, yeah, why travel 650 miles to just go to the same dude? It felt more like a demonic entity disguising itself as a dog. That's what it feels like to me. Especially from the description, how I said it looked like a man. Yeah. But the teeth were going everywhere. It kind of seems a little Wendigo-ish, but also a little... Like demonic entity that was using a dog form to terrorize him. My second thought too, as I read this, was like this old buddy was going to school to be a diesel mechanic. He just needs to be a rider. Yeah, uh, yeah for sure. Yeah, put the wrench down, sir. Put down the wrench, pick up a pen, yeah. get to work, and get back to riding. Because it was a very, 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 very well written story. It, it really was. It really oh, yes. was. But I just, I don't know. Like I have, there's so many theories out there about dog man anyway. I mean, it's, it's like, it's like Bigfoot. It's like all these cryptids. 
You know, there's so many theories behind it. You know, is it physical? Is it spiritual? Is it something, you know, interdimensional? Is it, is it just demons or some kind of demonic forces that are taking on the form of these things? You know, uh, is it government genetic manipulation that that's created this create like there's so many theories out there but most dogman sightings don't end in moving 700 or 650 700 miles away and the same stench hitting you like everything sounds very similar to dogman through the whole story first three quarters of the story like it che- it's checking off dogman boxes and then they, you get to the portion of the story where they move a long ways away. And you're kind of like, okay, obviously, no dogman sightings in Delaware, at least not as many as we have here in, in, in greater Appalachia. And it's like, it's showing up again six years later, you know, almost a thousand miles away. That's not, I was like, this feels more demonic entity than it does. Yeah. Checking less dogman boxes and checking more demonic entity like. Trying to terrorize this guy. Yeah. 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 I would agree with that. One of my favorite dogman theories out there is the ritualistic practices of some, uh, I'll just say peoples that they literally use and do things to take on forms of it's almost like the whole skinwalker thing like you have these these medicine men and shamans and all these different stuff that are all these different things that do these ritualistic things to take on the form of so that's one of my that's one of my favorite theories out there i just i just want i just want to talk about that i want to bring in the whole magic angle on everything I don't know. I would like to talk to this dude. I have a lot of questions that neither one of you can answer. Yeah. So we are going to have to find his IP address and trace it back to this guy, wherever he's at. And we need to bring him on Appalachian intelligence for an interview because I have some questions. First, we have to find somebody who can do every bit of that. Folk, any of y'all are uh, good at tracking IP addresses or any of that stuff. If you can p- ping a location based on a uh, username or whatever, just let us know. We need you, Hill Folk. Assemble, <laughs> dude. That's nuts, though. That that literally, I had goosebumps the majority of the time. That was. That story was happening. Yeah, that was great. And that's, you know, like at first I was thinking, oh, this is Dogman for real. This is classic Dogman. I mean, literally, it wasn't a dog. It wasn't a man. It was it was, it was something in between. I'm like, well, yeah, you just add the words together. I mean, it's not real hard. It's not like it's called a, a pudgewudgie or something. I like the fact that like you can tell these people are just 100% Appalachia. Oh, yeah. Come in, do the granny witching, do the faith healing, cleansing the spirits, getting rid of all the stuff, you know, doing all the things we've seen done a thousand times. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
because that's just what we do. That's just, you know, if something bad like that goes on, you got to come in and there's things you got to heal it and faith it, faith it out of there, right? Church it out of there. Um, <laughs> and it still showed back up. Yeah. Well, she said she gave him a warning. Don't that's true. Be in the woods after dark until this thing leaves you alone. Which to me says this thing ain't gonna leave me alone. Which says to me that they use a little too much sage and not enough Jesus. <laughs> or crystals. Oh, that's it. They left out the crystals. Hear me out. All the energy in these crystals. Yeah. Warding off these demons. Yeah. Totally work. Could totally work. I don't know, man. That was a great story. Yeah, it was. It was a good one. That was a great That's story. Awesome. But I'm uh I'm interested to get to uh your personal experience, Lance. I think this is probably the first, other than like, you know, UFO sightings and all that stuff. But at this point, I don't even think anybody gets excited about UFO sightings anymore. It happens all the time. Yeah. This is like, hey, you guys seen another UFO today? This yeah, one looked I like think, uh, this one looked like a banana. I think we've mentioned some theories about that. <laughs> exactly what we're talking about right now. Yeah, we have. We've talked about this. So go back and listen if you don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> but no, I'm excited to get into this, Lance. Let's uh let's hear Lance's personal story. This is gonna share for super creepy story time. This probably won't be as near. Actually, I know it won't be nearly as good as the story that I just read. Um, but this definitely happened. My first year of college in the dorm room um, is the context of where this took place. Um, the screw tape letters. Now you're going, what in the world are you talking about? Um, but just for some context, uh, if you don't know what the screw tape letters are, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote the screw tape letters. Um, and it's essentially a parody that C.S. Lewis writes from the point of view of a demon, a, a low-grade, kind of like not very successful demon, essentially. And it's all calm. It's all satirical um, about how to possess a human, right? And it's like 31 or 38 letters um, of different things you, know, you can do to, to possess a human. It's essentially a, a viewpoint on humanity. Um, and how we things like fear and anxiety, um, we use all these things as crutches to essentially keep us from God. Okay, um, and that the Satan and the demons or whatever use these different things to keep us away from the true life, of, the true light of Jesus Christ. Okay, C.S. Lewis, you know who C.S. Lewis is? A fantasy writer, very Christian-based writer. Um, wrote. Narnia wrote all you know, Prince Caspian, all those different things. Uh, but the screw tape letters were one. It was actually written in 1942 uh, and it was published in the guardian. It's kind of a counter to help people as the British was getting into world war two. Uh, it was there for some satire to kind of lighten the mood a little bit. Now, what does that have to do with anything, right? Well, it actually has quite a bit to do with it. I, I want to Reference the screw tape letters a couple times to the story. So I wanted to at least put context of what that is because it's really not quite commonly known to people like who aren't super literature nerds. Okay. Cause it's not really one of the more famous C.S. Lewis um, 
writings. But again, it's from the point of view of a demon possessing humans. Okay, so first year of college, um, of course, moved away, went to college, and was living on a dorm um, full of you know, probably 80 guys, I think, on the floor in the hall. Um, due to a room, you know, it was just from every different background, every ethnicity, um, every social status um, that you could imagine. Of. It was literally a huge melting pot uh, that was in the storm room. Uh, that's on the storm floor. Um, so me, just a you know, old mountain feller from Southwest Virginia, uh, had a roommate who was from Buffalo. Um, we were polar opposites in everything that we did, but we ended up being pretty good friends and are still pretty good friends to this day. We had um, Chinese students um, on the hall. Um, we had Filipino students on the hall. Um, we had um, every, just what you could think of, it was there. Um, so it was a, quite quite a crew. Um, and as you do, especially at 18, 19, 20 years old, you form relationships with people who you have some commonality with pretty quick, right? So the people that liked the things that I liked, um, we became friends. And the people that didn't like the things that I liked, we were acquaintances because we lived on the same floor, but we weren't as buddy-buddy as we would obviously be. Okay. Um, so there was a gentleman uh, on, the, on the hall, and we'll just call him Eric for the sake of the story. Um, I don't really want to quite give his name out um, because of the events that transpire the next couple of months. Um, so Eric um, was a guy from the Midwest, um, and he was six foot three, just an absolute beanpole of an individual, had really dark hairs and piercing blue eyes, really dark hair and piercing blue eyes. Um, that is kind of one of those guys that when you looked at him, like he's kind of like like Leif Erikson type, like piercing blue eyes, um, and was uh, was a great dude. Um, put a lot of ultimate frisbee together and, and soccer and all the things that we would do. But he was kind of a loner. Um, and he would go do the events with us, and we knew Eric, and would go eat at the Rot with us and all the different things. Um, but he was just a bit of a loner and would be in his room just kind of by himself a lot, especially when we had just hall things going on, hall activities or whatever. He was just there kind of by himself. Um, and his roommates, uh, who he had two, um, would talk about the fact that he was just kind of a quiet guy. Um, and, you know, at 18, 19 years old, everybody's trying to figure their out, figure out their way. Everybody's home, uh, away from home for the first time and off to college. So you're kind of just figuring a lot of things out. So we didn't really think much about it. Um, just knew that he was just kind of quiet. Um, and, but as the weeks progressed, uh, Eric became more and more withdrawn um, from pretty much all of us. And again, like we weren't like super buddies, right? We just knew each other in passing. Hey, how are you? What's going on? Um, but we just kind of noticed, especially my roommate and I and the two guys that lived across from us, uh, just noticed him being more and more withdrawn. Um, and it was strange because at first everybody's kind of withdrawn because you don't know anybody, but you're living with guys every day. You kind of get to know them pretty quick. Um, and, and get to be friends with him pre pretty fast. They become family really quick. Um, so we kind of got worried about him. Um, just like physically thinking maybe he was sick or just maybe he was super homesick or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, but we got kind of worried about him. So we started kind of just trying to do extra things to get him involved with stuff. We'd stop by and hang out, play, try to get him to play, come play Halo with us or 
go out and play small frisbee with us or just come eat with us or just different things to try to get him more included because he was afraid that he was kind of feeling just by himself and kind of left out. But it seemed like the more we tried to get him to do, the less he wanted to do with us. Um, and at some point, we just kind of chalked it up like, okay, you know, we, we tried, we did our due diligence. Um, but he doesn't want anything to do with us, and, and that's okay. Well, this goes on for a few weeks. Um, and it's his first semester, so we're moving into September, October. Um, and I can distinctly remember uh, one night, uh, it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday, there was just a lot of commotion on his end of the hall. Um, and of course, you know, everybody's up and we just kind of see just crazy stuff. Just a lot of commotion down there. The RAs are down there. Um, some of the older guys are down there. The, his, Eric's roommates are out. So we just kind of go wandering down, uh, to see kind of what's happening. And Eric is throwing a bit of a temper tantrum. Um, he's mad. He's, he's hollering at the RAs, leave him alone. Um, he's, he's not getting violent by any means, but he's definitely what you would call a, a classic temper tantrum. And they finally, after 25 or 30 minutes, kind of get him calmed down. Um, and they chalk it up to distress of school, him kind of figuring out what it's like, you know, to have to study all the time and just kind of having too much stress on him and him not being able to kind of handle it. And they kind of getting him, he kind of explains the same thing, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, felt overwhelmed with all the classwork and and he was trying to get all this reading he was supposed to be doing done and all this kind of stuff. So we just kind of chalked it up to just stress, right? Just typical stuff. Um, and that was kind of that. Um, and I distinctly remember, like as I was walking back to my room, like looking in uh, and on his desk, of course we had bunks on both sides. You had two bunks on one. You had three, usually three people in a room, so two bunks. And on the other side, you had a bunk with a desk underneath it. Um, and then had a desk in the middle that would kind of butt up against each other. And I just, for whatever reason, uh, even now, all these years later, I can remember looking into his room and having a black, one of those classic black lamps that has the thing that clicks on the back. There's a classic you know, desk lamp that you would think. And I remember seeing the screw tape letters sitting on his desk. Um, and to me, I thought that was strange. Because, yes, the screw tape letters is a parody, but it it's talking about demon possession. Like that's the whole purpose of the book, right? And it's not a book that you read for just like poops and ha-has. Like it's a book that you read because you're wanting to learn things or Try to, you've got some stuff going on. It's a heavy, it's a heavy read. Um, and I remember that and, and seeing that um, and knowing what the screw tape letters were, but had never really, hadn't read them myself, but just kind of understood that like, in, especially in the Christian circles, like that's a heavy read for people that are trying, you know, just trying to, try, that are going through some stuff. But again, kind of just filed it away. Didn't think much about it. This goes on. We're getting close to Thanksgiving break. Uh, we're back home after fall. We come back fall break over the weekend. Back, you get the kind of the last push till Thanksgiving break till finals hit. Um, and Eric just gets more and more drawn, withdrawn, and a little more vocally like kind of lashing out at people. 
Um, to the point where I thought people in the hall, were, I thought they were going to fight. Like I thought we were going to have to break a fight up on a couple of different occasions, which is nothing uncommon. Right? A bunch of 19 year old kids together full of testosterone. You're going to get those things. You're going to happen, right? It happens all the time, but it was happening more frequently with him. Well, it all kind of came to a head um, one night, early November. And again, there's this another just commotion going on down at Eric's room. Um, his roommates are out, the RAs are down, and we all just kind of make our way down to the room. Well, we get down there, and I just notice, like, the energy is different. But the first time this happened, the RAs are there, and they're being calm, and they're just you know, kind of getting people to go back to their rooms and trying to talk him down. And some of his people who live close to him and knew the roommates, his roommates are all just trying to, trying to defuse the situation. Like, we walk down there. I felt a different energy. Like people were scared. You could see it on their faces. People were panicked. Um, everybody was kind of looking around, not knowing what was going on. Um, just the energy felt entirely different. Well, as I as I do, um, I managed to weasel my way close to one of our RAs, who I had become pretty good friends with, and asked him, I was like, Connor, what is going on? And he looks at me and I, with legitimate, genuine fear in his eyes, like wide eyes, pupils dilated, face was white, pale. And he looked at me and was like, I have no idea, but somebody needs to start praying right now. So my roommate hears that um, and he kind of like just starts mumbling prayers, you know, help us, what's going on, you know, just typical stuff. We need, we need you to help. We don't know what's happening. So I was like, well, let me go in and see what's, what's going on. So Connor says, well, let me go with you. So we turn the corner. Um, kind of chill just thinking about this. I haven't really told the story to anybody uh, in a long, long time. We turn the corner. And again, I told you that Eric was like 6'3", beanpole. So he's long and lanky. He's sitting uh, in the fetal position. Or not, excuse me, not the fetal position. Sitting in a crouch position in his desk chair. So his knees are up against his chest. His feet are in his chair. And he's hunched over, and he's got an ink pen in his hand, and he's drawing something on a, on a pad, a notepad. I look at Connor, I was like, what the crap is this idiot doing? Like, what is happening? I was like, I don't know, but something's not right. So I'm going to get close, I'm going to figure out what's happening. I look down, and again, I see open uh, the screw tape letters. So he's been reading it. And he's drawing with a pen. He's not writing like normal. You know, he has it in his hand, grasp, kind of like you would try to stab somebody or whatever. But he's just writing in circles, just scratching in circles as hard as he can, like to the point where he's ripping through the paper. Um, and it's just over and over and over and over and over. And Connor's like, tries to get him to stop. Like, says his name, Eric, Eric. Hey, buddy, what's going on, Eric? He doesn't respond. Doesn't give us any noti no notification that he knows that we're there at all. He's just when he's up in the fetal position, up, up in the crouch position, just as hard as he can. Um, and like the room felt dark, like it just felt dark. Now, never had an experience like that before, but like it just felt like it felt heavy. You know what I'm saying? Like it just things just felt heavy in there. Um, like distinctly, like a noticeable difference from me stepping in from the hallway into the room. Stuff was just heavier. Um, he's still just. So I try, Eric, 
buddy. Hey, hey, what's there? Hey, talk to us. What's going on? No response. So I lay my hand on his shoulder, right? And I do it gently because I don't want to like cause, I don't want to scare him and him like will on me with this pen, right? Or try to attack us because we don't know what he's doing. So I kind of lay my hand on his shoulder um, and he doesn't react to my hand at all, but he begins to growl. Um, and as he's riding these circles, now I'll try to mimic it the best I can, but it was essentially as he's going around in circles. And I kind of like, like jerk back, right? Um, and Connor kind of steps back and we both kind of look at each other. Like, is he getting like, what's he doing? Like, is he just messing with us? Like, what, what exactly is going on? Well, at this point, the other RA is called campus police because we don't know what's going to happen. Right. We got a guy that's not responding to us. He's obviously upset in some way. Um, he's doing crazy stuff with this uh, PM. We've already had other instances with him kind of being having outbursts before. So we're getting campus police in there, at least to maybe talking down or, or whatever. We don't know what he's going to do. Well, every time you get close to Eric to try to get him to calm down, he all he does is growl. All he does is growl. So me being me. Walk around to the front of the desk, right? So per the way I'm looking at the camera, his back was to me. You could walk around, and I wanted to see his eyes. I wanted to see what he was doing. Um, I wanted to see if I could at least get contact with him to get him to snap out of whatever conniption fit he was going through. Um, So I told Connor, I kind of mouthed, I was like, I'm going around. I'm going around. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm going to go around. Okay, okay, be careful, be careful. You know, just just as difficult as it would be. So I walk around and like his computer and all that stuff is there. And I'm back away from him because I don't want to get too close for him again. I don't know what he's going to do. And I try to get kind of like down so I can see and try to get his attention on his eyes. Like, hey, look at me. Just look at me for a second. Let's get out of this. Um, and it's <sighs> same thing. And finally, like he just stops. Right. Just no more. And he's still in the crouch position in his chair, and he just snaps up and looks at me. Now, I told you that one distinguishing characteristic about Eric was that he was 6'3", he was gangly, but he had piercing blue eyes. Right? It was something you just raised. He was one of those guys that would just kind of stop you with his ears. When he looked at me with his eyes, it felt like it was 10 seconds. It was only but, but a moment, I'm sure. There was no blue in his eyes. There was no black in his eyes. They looked white. Totally white. To the point like I couldn't see his pupils. Couldn't see him. And he went right back. To the pen again. I panicked. I totally panicked. Um, And I went running out of the room. And Connor was right behind me. Dude, what happened? What happened? I was like, he ain't right. He ain't right. He ain't right. Something's going on. And I tried to, I tried to explain that. I couldn't talk. I, 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 I was just stuttering. Finally, campus police gets there. I'm kind of back away from the room. And Connor's trying to get me to tell him what's going on. I was like, Connor, I don't know how to explain what I just saw. I don't, I don't know how to put it into words. Like, but his eyes weren't there. Like, they weren't. I don't know what to tell you, but they, I didn't see his eyes. He's like, what? They weren't there. They weren't blue. They weren't. There was, it was just white. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. So what are you talking about? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I can't describe it. But this is what happened. 
Well, finally, campus police get here, and we kind of disperse. Of course, they disperse us. Um, and we wake up the next morning. Um, and, of course, down to see where Eric's at or what's going on. All of Eric's stuff had been removed from his room. Um, all of his belongings, the desk was gone, the markings, the papers, all of this stuff was gone. The roommates um, don't know what happened. They just said that some of the uh, school officials came in late in the middle of the night, took all the stuff, woke him up, took all of his stuff, uh, told them they'd be in contact with them to kind of let them know when their new roommate would be in and kind of let them know what happened. Um, Eric was gone the next day. Um, now. Never saw him again, never heard from him again. Know those roommates, um, got to know them pretty well. They never got an explanation. They never got told what happened. Just that in a couple of the next semester, um, they had a new guy move in. Um, that became part of the, the family there, becoming the brotherhood, and nobody ever spoke of or heard from Eric again. Good Lord. Again. I've told that story to no one. Holy crap, dude. I love how he said you don't let, read screw tape letters just for funsies, and I just got it on Audible. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good read. You'll like it, Ryan. It is a good read. Well, that's because uh, we we like to push the boundaries here. We, we like to push it a little bit. But no, I mean... <sighs> Here's the thing, and this is what I was thinking the whole time. Like you was don't he demon, was he demon possessed? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't know. I don't know how to explain. I don't know how to explain somebody's eyes looking like that and being like that just from a a break in psychosis or, you know, I mean, maybe somehow possibly he had his eyes rolled back in his head and, and may, I, I don't know. To me, it, to me, it sounds like a whole lot of cases of demon possession that you hear and how it's just constantly gradually, you know, just getting worse and worse and worse or oppression or whatever. Like, you know, he quits wanting to do anything. He isolates himself. He, uh, you know, his his behavior and attitude kind of changes. I don't know, man. And like with this book, I haven't read this book, but I feel like I need to now. But if it's a satirical kind of thing toward the dark forces, you know, toward the demonic, which. I mean, you said it yourself. C.S. Lewis was an extremely devout man. He was, he was, you know, huge in the faith. Uh, he tried to represent all of his writings through biblical ideology. We don't know what this dude. You don't know what this dude was wrapped up in before all this stuff happened. Like. Could this dude have been dabbling in the occult? Who knows? I didn't meet him until day one of, you know, <laughs> just, you know, I didn't, I just knew he was from the Midwest and his name was Eric. And 
You know, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, if this dude had some kind of attachment or, you know, was being oppressed or whatever, and then he starts, he dives into a heavy spiritual, even if it is satirical or, you know, whatever, but it's satirical in making fun of the dark side. The, I ain't talking about Star Wars. I'm talking about the Sea of, if it's right making. Where I went. Yeah, if it's making fun of the demonic, if there's something here attached that is demonic, it's probably not going to like that very much. And that's all I kept thinking was, well, of course he's scratching through the paper and destroying the book because whatever took control of him doesn't like this book very much. I mean, that's the first place my brain went. I don't know, dude. I I, I love my how brain, my brain went straight to stress of all the studies and everything. Maybe some anxiety, panic attacks, yeah, and, you just, you just, you, and you snap, right? Some people can't handle it, and you just yeah. snap. And that's totally possible. But how do you explain the eyes, man? Seizure. What? Seizure. Uh, to me, it's possible. I don't remember seeing any medical personnel showed up, um, but they admitted me the campus police couldn't take him out and take him to the clinic or whatever. I don't know. Like, that's awful deliberate movements for a seizure. He never quit riding in circles until he looked at me. And he went back to riding in circles again. I mean, most of the time, if somebody has a, an epileptic episode, you know, there's some kind of seizure there. You don't really, I mean, you're just losing control of, of your motor functions. Like you're not like, yeah, eyes roll back in the head, you know, all this different stuff, but you know, it's convulsions or it's, it's unconsciousness or it's, it's not like deliberately sitting in a crouched position and circling. It- it could have very easy, very easily have been his way to get out of, you know, right? I mean, it's 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 maybe not nice to think about that, but he could have thought, I'll just fake this manic episode, and I won't have to do any of this anymore. Yeah, very. I mean, it's extremely. It also, possible. tells me that there's some underlying problems out there, right? If that's what you come to, that this, you have instead of just saying, "Hey, I can't do this, mom, dad, let me come home," <laughs> you know, like. And maybe he has so much stress from his parents or whatever, so much pressure on him that he felt like he had to fake a manic episode to get out from underneath the pressure. But I'd always go back to the way his eyes look. It just didn't look natural. Yeah, that's just. I mean, <laughs> okay, I'm going to roll my eyes at the back of my head right now. Okay, get ready. Ready. I want you to tell me what you see. Ready. Oh God, Monica, Monica. <laughs> <laughs> but you could still like kind of see my eyes. Yes, absolutely. Like you can't roll your eyes back far enough to make them completely white unless you're as good as the Undertaker. Yeah, he was pretty good. He was really good. I don't know, man. I just I don't know. And you talk I don't I don't know. 
I believe that gut again, I believe that it's pretty good, Ryan. <laughs> that is pretty good, Ryan. It's really red. It's not white. It's red, but red eyes still, can't lose. <laughs> still really good. Red eyes, full hearts. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just go back to to trusting your gut. I mean, you said when you got there, it just it felt heavy. It felt dark. It felt, and it may have just been because the circumstances right. were so weird. Absolutely. But you said you kind of felt that as you approached. Yes, there was a distinct difference. In the feeling that I had the, the weight on my shoulders from hallway to room. And and maybe if it was some kind of break in psychosis, maybe that would have generated this, sure. this terrible energy. And just me, just as you get closer to something that's scary, things feel, you know. Especially there are people already ahead of you in the hallway feeling that way. Absolutely. Approaching. Absolutely. Everybody's just heightened sense of panic. Yeah. Then I'm the dude walking into the room. Like, you know, obviously you can see where things just felt more intense. Well, yeah. I don't know, though. It just some, which I mean, you know, you guys know me by this point. Y'all know me. My head's going to go straight to the weird right off the bat, but it just feels, I don't know. It just don't feel natural. To me, even like if this dude is faking, he needs to go to uh, to Hollywood, like because this this was a performance, especially a long game performance. Like y'all are noticing his behavior change over time. He's doing a. I don't know. And again, yeah, it could pop. Maybe it was stress. Maybe it was anxiety. Maybe it was, you know, some kind of mental break. I don't know. I just don't like it. It gives me the heebie-jeebies. There's two pretty good stories, though, for Halloween. Well, you definitely won yeah. super scary, creepy story time Halloween. Well, I have won, won twice. Officially, officially spent, so no more for me. <laughs> you better find one by next episode. <laughs> now nah, we might bring on a guest next week. We got a few out there that want to come on. We've shared our stories. We just we thought this might be a continuation. We might not have time to get them in, but we're good. This is yeah. a blast. I'll find if you want to find more for next week. I'm game. It was fun. This was a blast. I love sharing these stories. And God, I mean, there's a million of them out there. I mean, I've got a hundred other personal stories, you know, that, I mean, nothing is ever going to be as, as terrifying as, as my shadow man experience, but I'm still working on getting Hay to come in and tell us the story that she saw the shadow black coat cloaked woman on Halloween night walking down the road. Yeah. I'm on it. The more I talk about us having. She said, "Why well, you need to tell my story?" I said, "You know, you need to come tell your story. Just holler at her and get her out of bed right now. <laughs> get her out. I don't want to get in a fist fight. <laughs> pull pull your headphones out. I'm gonna start screaming. Hey, I don't want to get in a fist fight. I don't. She. You don't have to. I'll do it. She's not gonna fist fight me through a screen. <laughs> I'll work, do it. We'll work on her and get her on here and let her tell it. She needs to tell that one. Ashley needs to tell hers." Monica ain't going to tell nothing. Y'all might as well forget about that. 
dude, that's what we need to do for like our 50th episode. We bring on the wives, the AI wives. I'm game. And just let them sit down, chop it up, share their stories. Let's work on that. We've got a few weeks. We'll we'll do that for the 50th episode. Let's do it. Sounds good. Deal. Yeah. AI wives. What if they what if they get more downloads than anything we've ever done though? They're better looking, so maybe they will. Yeah. They are way better looking. <laughs> Not quite as funny. No. We're charismatic. No, not nearly as charismatic. Um, they don't know as much about the weird. <laughs> Nor do they care. It's true. <laughs> and they can't pee standing up. So we win. Uh-huh. I mean, they can, but you know, it don't work great. It's a mess. <laughs> No, boys, this is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. I hope I hope the Hill folk enjoy this. Um, Hill folk, look, this was some pretty good stories. Like, I thought I was coming in with a banger, and I probably had the worst story of the night. No. I didn't want to that, say it. <laughs> that, man, this was good. I've, I've been creeped out this whole time. I'm not going to sleep tonight. I love how Lance downplayed it. You know. Yeah, it like, downplayed the whole time before we started yeah. recording. Like, uh, mine's, uh, mine's, oh no, mine's not really scary. I'm just, and this, my next story's person, it's not scary as the first one. Dude, that's freaking, that's terrifying. That's traumatizing. Like every time I lay down in bed at night and close my eyes, that's what I would see is this idiot crouched over like some kind of freaking animal, just scratching circles and. Oh, and by the way, when you guys seen me jump earlier, if you heard the noise, that was Ashton deciding to be funny running up on the porch here. I got the window open. I <laughs> <laughs> pissed myself. The dickhead. <laughs> had, had to mute it. And I was like, we're recording. He's like, oh, I didn't know. Was, Either way it goes, why the hell would you do that? <laughs> It's a real douche move, Ashton. Real douche move. Proud of that boy. <laughs> I would do the same thing. I'd do it all the time. No, boys, that's a lot of fun out there. That was a lot of fun. We'll uh we'll decide what we want to do for next one. If we want to do another super creepy scary story time, or you heel folk let us know. Do you want us to do another super Got creepy? One, you want if you want to type one out and send it to us, listen, we'll gladly read it. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely we will. Absolutely. If you no want to do an age, if you want us to do another one before Halloween season ends, uh, we already have a plan for the episode that will drop on Halloween Day, which is awesome. We already have plans for that one, but we'll have. Let's see. This one will drop. Oh, uh, what's today? Tuesday. The 19th, right? Yep. Uh, 18th. No. 17th. 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 So the next episode will drop on the 17th. The episode after that will drop on the 24th. So, yeah, it'll be one more. So, 
you hill folk let us know do you want to have another super creepy scary story time episode or bring on a guest with some weird stories to fill that gap before our halloween finale yeah (laughs) halloween finale baby just as a side note, JW and I were talking today. He was telling me of a ghost story haunting of a rock here that is in between his house and my house. Um, and we are going to make the trek out there one day, one evening over the next couple of weeks and see if we can't locate this haunted rock. Where there's supposedly supposed to be an apparition or demonic entity that supposedly ha- has haunted it and people have seen it. Had interaction with it. We are planning on going out there. I'm taking the video camera and seeing if we can't capture this thing. Sweet. That is sweet, Lance. <clears throat> I would also like to do something uh, one weekend. Me and Ryan talked about it a little bit today, but we can talk about it after we get done recording. I want this one to be a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. This is a blast. Yes, sir. A whole lot of fun. Y'all got anything before we close this thing down? No, not that I can think of. Not that I can think of. All right, Hill folk. We hope you enjoyed this one. Be sure to follow us on all our social media. Uh, Please rate and review this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Subscribe to our YouTube. That's Appalachian Intelligence. Send us your stories at Appalachian Intelligence at gmail.com or anything else you want to send us. Uh, you can message on the socials, DM. We don't really care how you get up with us. Just just holler at us. That's all, that's all we care about. Just building the tribe, keeping the conversations going, growing the community. Uh, we're super thankful to all the hill folk that have contributed out there with uh, Austin. We appreciate letting us steal the Halloween stuff. I got some super cool artwork in today. Um, I'm going to share that on the socials in a few days and shout that dude out. Uh, of course, again, Devin with the AI plaque back here. So it's sweet. That's going to be there from now on. We just, man, we keep, um, we're, we're building. We're building. We're growing. We love it. We love y'all. We appreciate everything that you guys do, and we appreciate your excitement. You know, for this for the show. Again, we're just three knuckleheads sitting down and having the conversations that we would have anyway. So we're super thankful that you guys tune in and listen and and are actually interested in the weird. Yeah, because we love it, and we're gonna keep talking about it. At least it's weird as we say it. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. So, guys, thanks for joining us again here in Appalachia. Love you, mean it. <laughs> Love you, mean it. Gosh, Lance, I was trying out something new, and you totally just messed it up. <clears throat> Idiot. Hold on, hold on. <clears throat> Sorry. So, y'all, thanks for joining us here again. You trying it now? Yeah, man. Oh, my bad. Take three. <clears throat> so, y'all, thanks for joining us here again in Appalachia, where the stories are as old as the mountains. That's cheesy. <laughs> you like that? You like it? 
I just told you my story was two days ago. <laughs> I was written six months ago. <laughs> you said six hours ago. Come yeah, on, six Ryan. hours ago. See, you didn't make me forget with your dates. <laughs> All right, whatever. We love you, Hill Folk. We you. do. <laughs> Hill Folk. Until next time, we'll see y'all later. Thank you.